you're happy, then the people around you will be happy. My name is Merrill Dubrow, CEO of Mark Research. I'm a 35-year veteran of the research and insights community and the host of our podcast, On The Mark. On The Mark is focusing on executives and thought leaders in the world sharing their insights, strategies, and personal experiences. I promise this podcast will be filled with tough, pointed questions with real, insightful, and emotional answers. Today's guest is my good friend, Michelle Elster, president of Raven Research. Michelle, welcome to the On The Mark podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, Michelle, let's start with this. First of all, thank you so much for being on this. I'm really excited. So would just describe Raven Research for all the listeners, just a little history of the company, what types of projects you work on, things like that. Sure, sure. Happy to do that. Okay, so the company was started in 1963 by my father, Joe Rabin, a pioneer in the industry. Um, so this year we are celebrating our 57th anniversary. And um, I joined the company uh, in 1985. I know I'm dating myself, but hey, <laughs> you know what? You're only as old as you feel, right? Exactly. Uh, and um, yeah, in 85 and uh, started uh, just prior to that in, in the advertising industry and account management. Made the transition in 85 and have never looked back. The company is a full-service global market research company. We provide quantitative and qualitative research services, strategy, data analytics, and secondary research services to companies all over the world. We do have a particular expertise in B2B, even though we do both B2B and B2C. Um, it just seems that we can do it, and so our clients trust us with that. Our work pretty much runs the gamut from anything related to new products to market segmentation, um, market structure studies, anything related to marketing communications, and satisfaction. So did you know when your dad was starting the company way back when, and you were obviously a little girl and then went to college and got your MBA, did you always know you wanted to be a researcher, Michelle? No, no, I didn't. In fact, my dream, and I thought for sure I would always be in advertising. So my undergraduate degree was in advertising from the University of Illinois. And then I went on to get my MBA in marketing and international business, thinking that at some point I may want to do global or international marketing or advertising. Um, I was not thinking that I would work in the market research industry, mostly because I never really thought of myself as a data person. I really enjoyed the creative output in advertising, and that was really where I thought my heart would be forever. But what happened in 1985 was that due to life circumstances, my father offered me an opportunity, and it seemed like a smart decision at the time to try it, knowing that I always had an out, because he said, if it doesn't work, you can always move on. Well, I started in 85, and I never looked back, and it's been one of those rides where, um, you know, you think, um, you know, maybe maybe this is going to work, maybe it isn't going to work. How do you work with your father? A lot of people said that they could never do that. Well, we had worked through a lot of those issues, and we ultimately were able to. And I rose up through the company, just like he said I was going to have to. And he wasn't going to pave the way for me in any way. I had, I had to earn it, and so I did. And so I am uh, the second owner of Raven Research Company, and... Um, Hopefully this is it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I had an opportunity to work for my dad, Michelle, uh, between my junior and senior year in college 
one summer, worst summer of my life, could not wait to get back to school. My dad was brutal to work for. He sat me down. He said, listen, you show up late by one minute, you're fired. You come back for lunch by one minute late, you're fired. If you, if you, you know, you don't call me dad, you call me Mr. Duber. You know, my dad was tough, was really, really hard to work for and just was not a fun experience at all. Um, was Describe your dad a little bit because I know you mentioned earlier that you had to work through certain issues and working for your dad and he, you, your words, not mine, but I'll repeat them, which were you had to prove yourself. Michelle yeah, had to prove herself. Was that harder? The bar was a million times higher for me than it was for anyone else. He set this standard really, really high, and he said, you know, everybody is going to be watching you, and they're going to think that if you grow within the company, if you're promoted within the company, it's because you're my daughter. He said, I never want to have to say that. I want to have to say it's because you earned it. And so, yes, the standard was really insanely high. And so I took it very seriously. I was the first one in the morning. I was the last one to leave. Um, I grew the business. I transformed the business over the years. I demonstrated that I was worth it. And um, I would say that, and, and I think he would agree, that we would not be where we are today if it hadn't been for me. My relationship with people like you and my good friend Ken Roberts and so many of our other dear friends in the industry, I kept my ear to the train tracks and my nose to the, to the grind, you know, the, whatever, the grindstone, whatever it's called. I kept my, I kept it really, really low to the ground so that I could hear what was happening in the industry. Cause my father, quite honestly, is he was very old school. Um, but if you could make a case for a change that was going to be, um, important for the company and allow us to continue to move forward and to grow, he was open to trying anything. So he treated it very, very delicately. He was, you know, with kick gloves. And so he was afraid to make changes over time. And, and so I really had to push it. Um, but he was, he was amazing with his clients and as tough as nails with his employees. And so people were kind of afraid of him. And a lot of people over the years left because they said he was impossible to work for. So when I say it was, we had to work through a lot of things, we did. We had to figure out how to work together, um, how to take the father-daughter relationship and transform it into a business relationship. Um, I had to take, you know, I had to listen to when he said no, and I had to take it as the final gospel and walk away. Um, but, you know, in, in the end, he's a very reasonable man, and he's the smartest person I've ever met in my life. Next to maybe my husband comes close to that. <laughs> um, but he's ethical, doesn't lie, doesn't cheat, doesn't take things that don't belong to him. He's very, very, very ethical. And so I learned a lot from a very, very respectful person. That's great. So you mentioned a few minutes ago about transforming the business, which we all have done. Can you quickly just give me a couple of headlines of how you've transformed the business from five, seven, eight years ago? Because I think that's exciting for the listeners to hear. Yeah. yeah. Well, five, seven, eight years ago. I can't even remember when all this started, but, you know, technology reared its ugly head <laughs> um, way back in, I don't even know when, Meryl, but I remember, you know, you, I remember you standing up at one of the conferences and saying, you know, online research is going to account for over 60% of the work we do or whatever that number was. And I went, what? Because at the time, everything was, you know, in person, face-to-face -face at malls and telephone. 
And I got pushed into it. I got pushed into it because I had clients who wanted to do it. You know, it started with that, and I was afraid of my shadow because I was so afraid of making a mistake and all the pitfalls along the way. But, you know, we had to embrace that. We had to say, okay, a lot of the things that we said we would never do, we had to do. Like, for example, back in the day, I remember saying that we would never use a panel. And it was when, you know, Nielsen was really kind of one of the only panels around and we said we would never use panel data we would never use the panel sample and so what happened with the online space as you know is that that became really the only way you could do it even with client lists it's hard um, so that was one of the things we had to sort of rethink some of the things that were happening in the industry and you know we've had to as as every company has build in checks and balances and quality controls that ensure that we're getting the absolute best data that we can get. And then listening to what our clients want, right? So demand and supply, right? So we have to say, if our clients ask about these services, then maybe we should be thinking about how we can deliver them. So we've expanded our, our offerings quite a bit. You know, we just kind of keep getting dragged along and, and trying not to say no, because I know there's always a way of getting something done. And oftentimes what happens is that we get pulled in a direction and then all of a sudden it becomes something that we can offer on a regular basis. No, that's great. Okay. Good. Uh, obviously, you know, we met, we spent a lot of time together with the American Marketing Association back in the day on PCC. How did you first get involved in that? Was that through your dad? It was. So when the day, the day I joined Raven Research Company, he said to me, listen, the only way I was ever to get anywhere in this industry was by meeting the people who are in the marketplace, getting to know your competitors, getting to know the suppliers, the vendors, and developing relationships with them. That was like the first thing. And then he said, you know, after I got my feet wet and started volunteering for the Chicago chapter, he said to me, you know, one of the ways he's been able to grow the business was being able to demonstrate the quality of your work and the way you work. So the practical nature of the way you approach problems and your ability to manage and to demonstrate to people how smart you are. So this kind of evolved. So I, I, in 1985, I volunteered for the very first time for the Chicago chapter of the AMA. And within five years, I was I was already president, and then because I did a good job as president, then the National Association recognized me and started pulling me into volunteer positions and then leadership roles in the National AMA. I guess I, I guess over the years I have earned it, and so I've been given a lot of opportunities, which I'm very grateful for. That's great. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I worked on PCC with you and yeah, yeah. you were, you were obviously the chair of the, you were the, the queen of the AMA back in the day. And, and, you know, years prior to that, your dad was king of the AMA. He was also the chair. And I think you were the only, um, you know, um, father, daughter, or even any two people from the same family that have ever had the chair of the AMA, right? That's it is correct. And we, we both were president of the Chicago chapter of the AMA, and we both were chairman of the board of the National AMA. Um, but I even went, I believe it or not, I even went further than him, and I served as chair of the AMA Foundation, which he never did. As far as I know, and I could be wrong, but I think we're the only legacy, the only two generations of the same family. It would probably take me all day to list out your American Marketing Association accomplishments. I mean, it's, there's so many. If there was one thing that you're most proud of, that you accomplished being connected to the AMA, what would it be? Oh, I think one of the things that I, 
I tried to do really, really, I really put my mind to was, I think what was happening was that I think the AMA in general didn't understand how much of a sacrifice it was when people had to volunteer at a senior level, at a, at a leadership, in a leadership role. It's a huge sacrifice. I tried very hard to develop, and I'm not sure it's even being used anymore, but, you know, sort of come up with, and you can't really monetize it, but you can do as much as possible to make people understand, make their bosses understand the value of being a, a leader in an organization like the AMA and what people get in return. And so I started working on what I called a compensation package for um, leaders of the AMA. And that was a, a, an important thing that I thought would help both leaders, you know, potential leaders, the organization, and the companies that they work for. Um, I'm not sure it was necessarily as embraced the same way that I wanted it to be, but I was very proud of that. That's great. So you, you know me for a long time. We've talked about this, and, and you know that one of the things I have always and continue to struggle with is balance, you know, and that's challenging, right? I mean, when I think of you, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a daughter, you're an executive, you have a lot of people who count on you, you're very prominent in the industry. How do you balance everything? Yeah, that's a really good question. <laughs> I'm not sure I do it that well, but I do it. And, um, and I think there, when my kids were really small, that's when I was doing the most traveling for um, all, of, all of the things that I was doing. And I think that was the hardest. It was really hard on them. But I do believe that um, you know, having a good partner, whoever that is, helps. Um, a supportive partner, a supportive boss, and making sure that you don't cut too many corners. And so, you know, unfortunately, I think that I shortchanged myself more than anyone um, in terms of my own personal needs. But, you know, I tried really hard to be a good mom, and that was really important to me. I made sure early, early on that when my kids left home, that I would have a very important thing to do in my life. And I didn't give that up along the way. I made sure that I was working towards something that was important. I didn't want to be a sales clerk, not that there's anything wrong with it. It wasn't right for me. So I think that that alone is, is something that helped me keep the balance because it made me happy. I was doing what made me happy. And so, you know, if you're happy, then the people around you will be happy. No, I, I think it's important. I mean, I think a lot of people that I know struggle with that, and it's a it's a common topic that we have because um, anytime I can get a best practice or anything, I can get a tip on on what to do a little bit better, smarter. I, I love it. So so eventually, eventually, and I'm not. Don't, please don't think I'm pushing you out. <laughs> but eventually, you're gonna you're gonna ride off on a beautiful white horse. Nah. Named Casper, um, is it is it the third generation of of, of uh, you know of Elsters to take over here? Is it is, you know, is it? Do you see one of your kids being uh, following in your footsteps and their grandfather's footsteps? Well, we do have a third generation of researchers. My son David is um, market is in marketing insights at PepsiCo, 
and his wife is as well, Susanna Macon. David Elster and Susanna Macon, I'll give you a shout out. They're amazing. Um, <laughs> Great. And yeah. they, um, they, we do have a third generation of researchers. Whether or not they uh, want to take over the company is another question. But, you know, my husband and I have discussed this, and neither of us really want to retire. So um, right now we're planning on continue, continuing to work. You know, and we'll see what the future holds. That's great. Well, what, and I still remember, you know, it's interesting. I still remember being at your house during one of the meetings and playing basketball with David in the in the driveway. I know. He was five, I think, at the time. He was. And that's how old I know. And that's how many years we've known each other. So <laughs> when David when David and his um, and his wife wanted to get into the industry or decided to, did you give them any advice? Did you pull them aside and say, hey, listen, blank is is the best thing I could tell you? Anything come to mind? Along the way, he, uh, I got him as many opportunities as I could, introduced him to people, um, you know, helped him pave the way for him to get internships. And most of the time, I thought he was going to either be in advertising or marketing, not in research. So when when he decided, after his first job in marketing, he decided Insights was really the most interesting part of the business for him. I didn't have to sell him on it. Um, it was just through school and doing the work that he was doing for his current employer. He applied to get into the Nielsen School of Market Research at Wisconsin. So he went through his first year, and as a second year, he met uh, Susanna. He was her mentor, <laughs> and that was on day one. On day two, they were in love. Um, but the, I didn't have to sell him because David discovered it really on his own, and I think they both realized that it is one of the most interesting parts of what, of the business of market of marketing in general and it's always changing and we're always learning they found it on their own really i would say um yeah david david is very much like me he's got both the analytical side and the creative side and he's found that market research really is the perfect place to blend those two left and right brain skills and susanna's the same way she's very smart michelle great stuff Thanks again for listening. Michelle Elster, this is the On The Mark Podcast. My name is Meryl Dubrow. Have an amazing day.